All right, if you have your Bible, we are in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Today we're looking at the birth of the church. Acts chapter 2, we're going to read verses uh, 1 through 13 here in just a moment. Um, but before we get there, you guys, if you, if you know my family, and hopefully you, most of you do, you know we have a lot of babies. All right, we got, we got a lot of, we actually just celebrated Jack's 12th birthday yesterday. It's really hard to believe that, that Jack is 12, but we just celebrated Jack's 12th birthday yesterday. And for the most part, what I've learned, because having five, I think I'm kind of an expert, or getting close to being an expert, um, babies pretty much come whenever they want to. Okay, you can go to the doctor, and the doctor can run, do the sonogram, and run the test, and uh, all of those things, and they can give you an idea of when your baby's going to show up, but the reality is your due date's kind of just a shot in the dark, right? They, they can kind of get a good idea, but pretty much baby's going to come whenever they want to. Uh, so unless, unless a mom, unless the mom is planning to have an induction, the baby just shows up whenever they wants to, right? You really can't, you can plan for it, you can get excited for it, you can anticipate it, but really... Baby's just going to come whenever the baby wants to come, right? Um, Tina and I, we have five kids, and with Jack, Jack was, Jack was induced. Am I right? Okay, I'll make sure I got this right. And Kate was induced. The other three, though, and Tina and I had this discussion. We can get into it later. The other three, they basically showed up when they wanted to, right? And, and, and when they wanted to was the middle of the night. Right? But toward the end of the pregnancy, I started getting antsy. I don't know how she was feeling. I was getting antsy. I was getting, like, we got to get this baby out, man. We got to get this baby out. So I was, I was going online, and I was looking up all of the things that people, because, you know, the experts are all on Facebook. They're all on, all on the Internet. You Google, find all the expert information you need. I was doing everything they were saying. Like, Tina was eating spicy food. I was feeding her pineapple. Like, here, eat this whole pineapple, right? Don't worry about the core in the middle. Just eat it, right? I'm feeding her pineapple. We're going for, like, Eight-mile walks around the neighborhood. The neighbors are like, what, you guys just walked by here two minutes ago, right? Come on, we got to go, right? We did everything you could think of to try to get the baby to come. Guess what happened? Didn't work. None of it worked. Like, come on, let's go for like, I don't want to walk. No, we're going to walk. We're going to walk this baby out. We're going we're gonna to get the baby out. The babies, they showed up when they wanted to. And, of course, it was, we're in bed. We're ready to go to sleep. Oh, I think it's time to go. And so we had to drive. We, we delivered our, uh, well, Tina had the babies down in Ashburn. I, I just was there for, like, maybe money in the way, like, that kind of deal. But something similar, something very similar happened with the coming of the Holy Spirit. The apostles were ready. They, they had been told by Jesus to expect the Holy Spirit to show up. But then Jesus just said, look, I want you to wait in Jerusalem. When the Holy Spirit shows up, you're going to have power to be my witness. And then Jesus just took off. And they're going, oh, when's he coming? When's he coming? But what they did was rather than sit around, they started putting the things into place. They were, as we looked at last week, they were gathering together. They were constantly in the temple. They were always praying. They were doing all of these things to get ready for it, to anticipate it. But they had no idea when the Holy Spirit was going to actually arrive. And then he did. And when he did... Things just jumped off. So that's what we're going to look at today. Uh, if you have your Bible, Acts chapter uh, 2, we're going to read verses 1 through 13. It says this, When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. 
Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit gave them, the, gave them ability for speech. Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. When this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. They were astounded and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those who lived in Mesopotamia, in Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. They were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But some sneered and said, They're drunk on new wine. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would be with us now as we, uh, as we take a look at this uh, exciting passage of Scripture um, that, that was basically the birth of the church. The reason that we're here today sitting and looking at this passage of Scripture is because of the things that took place here in Acts chapter 2. Lord, I pray that our time together would be productive and that we would be different people as a result of being here. We ask this in your beautiful name. Amen. All right, so um, in, in the first through the four verses, Acts 2, 1 through 4, which I just read, um, what we see is we see the Holy Spirit showing up. And he didn't just knock on the door and be like, hey guys, I'm here, right? It was a big, huge deal. So let's take a look here. Um, according to this passage, uh, the group was gathered together. And we, we saw from previous in chapter 1 that this is what they were doing. Okay, this is, this is what they did from the time that Jesus left them while they were waiting in Jerusalem like he commanded. They were probably getting ready to spend some time in prayer, but it doesn't, the, the Acts 2 doesn't tell us exactly who was there. Okay, it doesn't, at the end of Acts chapter 1, it listed out everybody that was in the room, right? But Acts chapter 2 just says that the group was gotten together. So there are people that believe that it was probably the same 120. So the, the 11 apostles, Matthias, who joined the group last week when we saw them, uh, Mary, Mary Magdalene, Jesus' brothers, they were all gathered together because they were, they were anticipating that this was going to happen. Um, and what they were doing was they were gathering to celebrate Pentecost. Now, Pentecost, at, at this point, at this point in uh, Jewish history, it had a very different meaning than what we think of it today, right? When we think of when we think of uh, Pentecost, because of what we read here in Acts chapter 2, we think of um, the Holy Spirit showing up. We, that's, that's what we think of. In fact, there's even a religious tradition called the Pentecostals, right? They're the ones that get excited and hoot and holler and, and, and do all of those things. Um, at this point, though, the reason Pentecost was celebrated, it was one of the required feasts that the Jews had to participate in according to the law that, that was given to them by God when they were wandering in the wilderness. It was known as the Feast of First Fruits. And Numbers 28, 26, you can look that up later, uh, it gives a little detail of this festival. This festival took place 50 days after the Passover, and it was a time for the people of Israel to give thanks. All right, And they, they, were, giving, they were giving thanks for three reasons. First, they were giving thanks because of the crops that they were getting ready to, to bring into the storehouse. That's why it's called the Feast of First Fruits. They were giving thanks to God because he was providing for them 
through the things that they planted in their fields. All right, and this was usually the beginning of the harvest time. You know how we celebrate uh, Halloween and all of those things. We have harvest parties and different things like that. This was the Jewish equivalent of a harvest party. All right, the second reason uh, that they were giving thanks is they were giving thanks to God for the Exodus. Right? The Exodus, uh, way back at the beginning of the Bible, the, the Jewish people were enslaved in Israel, and God sent a guy named Moses in with his brother Aaron, and Aaron, they went to Pharaoh, and they said, Pharaoh, you're going to let the people go. God said, you're going to let my people go, and Pharaoh kind of huffed and puffed, and God sent a bunch of plagues, and eventually Pharaoh said, you know what, I've had enough of this, get these people out of here. And so God, through Moses and Aaron, was able to bring, or he brought his people out of slavery. And so when they did this feast of uh, first fruits, they were thanking God for bringing them out of slavery. And finally, they were giving thanks for the law, God's instructions on how to live in a right relationship with him. I've been reading through in my devotions, I've been reading through... Um, the book of Exodus, and the first part of Exodus is really exciting, and then you get to about the end of Exodus, it's not nearly as exciting as the first part, because you're getting all of the laws and regulations and things like that, but we read through that and we come to understand it so that we can know what, what God was putting in place for his people so they could live in a right relationship with him. And it was on this day that the church was born. The church, not necessarily the, the way we do it, but the fact that God was bringing his people together in light of this. The birth of the church came when the Holy Spirit arrived, just as he promised. And just like the birth of a baby, the birth of the church was dramatic and unexpected. I'm pretty sure if we went around the room, those of us that, that have had children, all of our births were, you, you wouldn't, very few of you would go, yeah, it was kind of boring. Right? The, the, when the Holy Spirit showed up, it was dramatic and it was unexpected. And there were four things that we can see in verses 1 through 4 of chapter 2 that took place that showed how dramatic and unexpected they were. The first thing that we see is there was the sound like a violent wind that filled the house that they were in. Okay, not, They weren't at the temple at this point. They were at the house. And this wind, the sound of a wind came in. Now, there wasn't actually any wind because the, the wind probably would have knocked the house over. But there was a sound like a wind. I went to college in Florida on the Gulf Coast. Now, thankfully, during my time that I was there, I only went through a few tropical storms. And I only had to, I only had to ride out one hurricane. Now, thankfully, it was a smaller hurricane. But I got to tell you, the wind itself... Not, not necessarily the, the rain and everything else that came with it and the flooding and, and all of that, but the wind itself was enough to scare people. Right? I mean, it was, it was hard to sleep that night because of the wind. Uh, some commentators that, that I read in, when I was getting ready for this, it said it almost sounded like a bomb going off. It's it how powerful the sound of this wind was. And it came in and it filled the house. And, and what it did, the reason it was there, was it was being used to draw a crowd, right? You, you hear a noise like that, everybody's gonna be sticking their head out going, you just hear that, right? I mean, y'all you, you, have experienced that, right? Those of you that have neighbors that live close, you hear a sound and all of a sudden, everybody's poking their head out, you know, being rubberneckers, trying to figure out what's going on. Well, God, God used this wind to draw a crowd. Second thing that we see is we see something like tongues of fire that came down, that split, and it rested on each person that was in the group. Now, there's, there's a lot that we could get into in this. 
Um, a lot of stuff that I don't necessarily understand. All right, it, it's pretty uh, intense. It wasn't actual fire, but it was something that looked like fire. Okay, they they didn't come down and have this like fireball Mario type stuff floating floating on top of their head. Um, but what it did was it symbolized that the Holy Spirit had arrived and that He was going to dwell inside each of the person, each of the people that were there in the crowd. First Corinthians chapter six. 19 and 20 says this, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. Just like it was true of the uh, group that had gathered there, the Holy Spirit was dwelling in them. The Holy Spirit dwells in each one of us that's a believer. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The third thing that we see is that each person, each disciple that was there was filled with the Holy Spirit. When the, when the tongue came, when the tongue, the thing like tongue of fire came to rest on them, each of them was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, there had been times in the past where individuals in the Bible had been filled with God's Spirit, but it was always for a very brief period of time. Uh, one example would be Samson. All right, if you know the story of Samson, um, Samson went through some, uh, he was one of the judges, and he went through some pretty rough things. He, he did some things that uh, he probably shouldn't have done, got himself in trouble. But God used him to help, uh, help um, throw off the oppression of the Philistines. And at the, end, at the end of his life, he's blind. They bring him out. He's, they tie him up between these two pillars um, of this house where they're having this party so they can make fun of him and say, ha, look what we did, look what we're doing to the Israelites. This is their great champion. Look what we've done to him. And at that point, God's spirit comes on him and empowers him to basically tip over the house, right? You have to have the power of God to tip over a house. And the Bible tells us that he killed more Philistines in that one time than he did all of his life. And if you know Samson's life, he killed a bunch of dudes, right? He, I mean, he, he killed a bunch of dudes. Um, we also know that the, uh, the uh, Spirit of God was said to have been on John the Baptist. There are times in John the Baptist's life um, where he was filled with it and so on. Um, but each of these times, like I said, the filling was temporary. But when the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit, it was a permanent thing. It, it, there, there's no time where it talks about the Holy Spirit, the, the, the Spirit of God going off of them. Once the Holy Spirit showed up and filled the disciples that were in the room, it was a permanent thing. It wasn't something that, that would come, come and go and so on. They all had the Spirit of God living inside them. And then finally, the last thing that we see here, the last supernatural thing that we see, is that all of the disciples began to speak in other tongues. Now, there's a lot of controversy as to what that means, I'm not going to get into all of it. In this particular case, what it means is they started talking in languages that other people could understand. Now, uh, there, there's, some, uh, there's some writing, and, and nobody understands if it's they were actually speaking in Egyptian or they were actually speaking in the, the language that was spoke in Syria or Cyrene or wherever it was, or if they were talking in their own language and the people who heard them could hear them in their own language. But regardless of what it was, it was something supernatural, all right? Never in my life, never in my life, have I started speaking English and somebody who only speaks Spanish can understand what I'm saying. They just kind of look at me like, I don't know what you're talking about, right? Or never, I don't think anybody in this room has ever had the experience where they were 
they started talking, and all of a sudden they started talking Hebrew, a language that, that they didn't know, and, and somebody who understood Hebrew goes, wow, how in the world are you doing that? that that's never happened to us. It was a supernatural thing that, that took place. And I often wondered, as I read over this, and I've read, uh, hopefully you guys will understand, I've read Acts several times this year already, okay? We're in February, I've read it two or three times already. I'm planning on continuing to read it uh, a number of times. And every time I come to this, I always wonder, why did God do things this way? Why did, why, God could have just said, okay, the Holy Spirit's gonna show up. Why did he make it so that there was this explosion and there was fire and, you know, it was like a Michael Bay movie, right? It was like a, it was like a, you know, Michael Bay, things blowing up, Transformers, all that kind of stuff, right? All of that was going down. Why did he do that? And the reason is, is because God wanted to show how important this event was. He wanted, that's why, you know, when, when a new car dealership's opening up, what do they have? They usually have giveaways, and they got those dancing snakes, and you know they got balloons, and it's got to be a big deal if there's balloons, right? right? They want to show how important it was. God did this. God put his power on display to show the people that were going to gather, this is an important event. You need to pay attention to it. And I was thinking as I was listening to, to a singing as I was preparing for this, what we're looking at right here in Acts chapter 2 is probably the third most important event that has taken place in human history. It's the third most important event that's taken place in human history. The first being the birth of Jesus Christ, because he, God sent him to, to live a perfect life. The second one being the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, because we would not have salvation if it weren't for the fact that Jesus died for our sins and then rose from the dead. The third most important event is the birth of the church and the fact that the Holy Spirit showed up. Because as a body of believers, this is the day that we started coming together. This is the day that the, the body of believers, the church came together. And this was the day that we were empowered to do the things that God was calling us to do. If it hadn't been for this particular event, none of us would be sitting here in this room right now. Now, the Holy Spirit indwells every believer at the moment of salvation. It's, it, it is a gift of, from God when we put our faith in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. And unlike what some other religious traditions may teach, there are, there are some religious traditions that teach this, this is not something that we have to seek out. The moment we put our faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us. It's not something we have to pray for and seek and, and constantly be looking for. It happens the moment we put our faith in Jesus. We are baptized into the Holy Spirit at the time of our new birth. However, we do need to be filled with the Spirit. Being baptized into the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit are two very different things. And the way that we are filled with the Spirit and we have the ability to do the things that God calls us to do is we are filled with the Spirit when we submit to the Spirit's authority, when we submit to the Spirit's leading, and we pray. That's the only way we're going to be filled. We are not going to get filled if we're sitting, simply sitting in a pew taking things in. It comes from submitting to the Spirit's authority, and it comes through prayer. Now, the second thing that we see in this passage as we continue on, Acts chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, um, we see the witness of the Holy Spirit. Let me read this passage. Or I'm just going to read part of it. It says, Now there were, there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation, under heaven. When they heard this sound, when this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one of them 
heard, each one heard them speaking in his own language. And then it continues on from there. Now, with all of this crowd, with all of this noise and commotion, clearly a crowd was going to gather. Okay, when I was younger, um, there was a there was a fire in my neighborhood, a couple houses down uh, from in the neighborhood we lived in. There was a fire in one of the houses, and I got to tell you, I've never seen that many people before who just just randomly showed up out of nowhere just to to take a look at this. Um, now, after waiting ten days for the Holy Spirit to arrive, the apostles were beside themselves, like they were they were ecstatic that that God had showed that that. The promise of the Holy Spirit had arrived. They, they were looking for it. It had come true just as Jesus had promised them. And while the Bible doesn't say it, I imagine that they were probably jumping up and down. They were high-fiving each other. If you watch baseball and you ever see the, at the end of a game where it's a walk-off home run and the guy comes trotting around third base and he's coming into home and the whole team is out there on home plate just waiting to mob him and hug him and, and do all those things. In my head, that's what I imagine this scene to look like. All right, it's in the Greek, trust me. I'm not a very good Greek student, so I may have misinterpreted it. But um, that, that's, what I, that's what I see going down. But he, and here's the amazing part. Even though the apostles were talking to each other in their own language and dialect, the people in the crowd could still understand what they were saying in their own language. Right? We, we looked at that already in verse 4. They could understand it. And Luke gives a very detailed list of the region where these men had gathered from. Remember, they were Jews who were coming to the temple as commanded by the law. All right, the, 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 um, I mentioned it earlier, but the Feast of First Roots was a required fest. There, there were three of them. There was the, let me see if I can, there was the Passover, there was the Feast of First Fruits, and there's one called the Feast of Tents. Okay? And, and they were all required ones where the Jews, the Jewish men, were required to go back to the temple for this. And some of the men would come into, the, the, into Jerusalem where the temple was for Passover, and they would just hang around for the two months until, until the Feast of Firstfruits took place, and then they would go home, depending on how far, how far away they lived. Regardless, though, there was a great crowd of people who were Jews that were there in the city when all of this were, was going down, and they were hearing the apostles declare the magnificent works of God. All right, now there's three things that I want to point out from this passage. First, the crowd that gathered noticed that a change had taken place in the apostles. They noticed that there was something different. It doesn't necessarily mean they knew them from before, and now they're like, wait a second, wasn't that Peter? Wouldn't I just see him? Right? They, they could tell that there was something different going on. Um, and I'm not just talking about the, the fact that they were happy and excited and jumping up and down going, something must be going on. These guys are ecstatic about something. They noticed that there was something different. And it's, it even says, aren't these guys Galileans? How is it that we can understand what they're saying? All right? they're, they're Galileans. They should be speaking whatever it is that Galileans speak. Okay, Again, my Greek's not that great. Um, but, and I don't, think that this is, I don't think that this event that was taking place is a repeatable event. All right, and we'll get to, get to that more. And that we, we, not, we shouldn't necessarily view the ability to speak in other languages as a sign of spiritual superiority. There are, there are some religious traditions that will teach that, that if you can speak in another language, that you're somehow more superior to, to other people. Um, but this was a sign that these people had had an experience with the Holy Spirit. And when we encounter the Holy Spirit, whether it's at the time of our our salvation, or whether it's you know we've 
We've had, had a filling of the Holy Spirit through our prayer and submission. People should notice a difference. People should tell that we've been in a time with Jesus. The second thing is God's plan to spread the gospel throughout all of the world is seen very clearly right here. God's plan, even though if you read the Old Testament, it seems like God is spending all of his time dealing with just the Jewish people. The Jewish people are God's chosen people. But peppered throughout the Old Testament, if you look carefully, actually you don't even have to look that carefully, it's right there, is God's plan to take the gospel to all of the nations of the world. And if you notice that here in this passage, who is in Jerusalem when the Holy Spirit shows up? People from every nation of the world. And they hear this boom, they hear this wind sound, and they all show up to try to figure out what's going on. And what we see here is we see God's sovereignty in working out the details here to be able to spread the gospel and the news of Jesus Christ's death, death and resurrection for our salvation throughout all of the world. Right? We, got, we got all of these people that are going to, and we're going to see how many there were as we continue on. But God brought all of these people together. And I'm sitting there going, that's awesome. You know, when, when, when you really understand how all of the puzzle pieces go together, and, and, and how God was working everything out to get everybody into Jerusalem at this point for this very event, it just blows your mind. And if you can't get excited about God put together this feast thousands of years ago, and, and, and he did all of this stuff, and then he said all of the people have to be here, and even people that are from all over the world are gathering once you really grasp and see all the, the, all the threads come together and you see the tapestry that God is weaving, it just blows your mind. It, it, is, it is fantastic. But the third thing that I want us to see um, is that the people that gathered were open to the gospel. They were open to the gospel. And the reason, and we're going to get into when Peter shares the gospel uh, in, in our next, uh, next week when we get into that. But they were open to it because of the personal witness of the disciples. And they gathered and they saw these guys that were excited and hugging each other. But what were they hugging each other about? They were, they were declaring the magnificent works of God. They were going, God really did what he said he was going to do. God, look at how God showed up. Jesus promised that this was going to happen, and, and it's happening. And all of these people are gathered around, and, and they're hearing all of these little snippets of things that they're saying, and they say, wow, in our own language, we hear them declaring the magnificent works of God. And this was personal testimony that the disciples were sharing. Now, they probably didn't know these people. They probably had no idea. But just the fact that they were declaring it opened them up to the gospel. And if we truly want our loved ones and friends to come to Christ, we need to show them and explain to them and tell them the difference that God has made in our lives before we invite them to church. We can randomly go up to somebody and say, hey, man, I want you to come to church. But if they don't understand why it is that we go to church, why? Because but maybe even being faithful and coming to church on a Sunday morning is enough to get people interested in what's going on. Because I got to tell you, it may have been popular decades ago to get up on Sunday morning and go to church. That may have been the expected thing. And, and you know, you kind of 
put your sunglasses in your hat and you put your trench coat on when you were cutting the grass on Sunday morning, right? Now, now if you don't go, if you go to church on Sunday morning, you're the weird one, right? You're the one that's, that's looked down on like, dude, how can you give up your Sunday morning like that? Right? It, it, it's completely flip-flop. Our personal testimony and the, the difference that God has made in our lives is going to be what is going to make our loved ones and our friends more open to hearing about the gospel. And then the third thing in this passage, Acts 12 and 13. Let me read this again because I like it. It says, They were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But some sneered and said, they are drunk on new wine. And this is the reaction to the Holy Spirit. We had the arrival. We had the witness, what was going on. This is the reaction. There were two reactions to, that the crowd had when they witnessed it. The one group heard it, and they were excited. They were like, what is going on, man? This is fantastic. I got to find out more. I need to know what's going on. They wanted to know what was happening and I anticipated that they probably wanted to experience it, something like it for themselves. Right? You see somebody having a good time, you're like, I need to know what's going on. I need to know what's going on. However, not everyone in the group was astounded. There were others in the group who mocked the apostles and blamed the way that they were acting on the fact that they were drunk. They said, bah, they can't even, basically what they were saying is, these guys can't hold their liquor. Okay, it's 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 nine in the morning. They're already they've already started drinking, and, and there's there's customs and stuff that we could go into later. Um, but basically, yeah, they, they 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 were drinking. And when it says new wine, they're they're talking about grape juice. They're saying ah, they can't even hold their grape juice. That's why they're they're acting this way. And this will be the case in every believer's life, especially if you were saved later in life, or if you. We're saved. If you were saved young, you went off the rails for a little while, and then eventually you, you turned it around and came back. I've talked to some folks who say that they have friends and family who are not open to Christ because every time that conversation comes up, every time that uh, the, the conversation of, hey, why don't you come to church with me, they always go, well, why would I want to go to church with you? Remember how you used to act 10, 5, 10, 15 years ago? How you used to, you used to do this? Why are you any different than me you know, just because you go to church now? It's, it's that kind of thing. Some will see the change in a person's life and want to know what's going on. Acts chapter 17, uh, Paul is in, uh, he's in, um, I forgot where he is. He's somewhere, right? He's, he's, he's traveling around, forgive me. Um, and, and he's preaching, and after he gets done, he says, um, Acts 17, 32 says this, when they heard about the resurrection from the dead, some began to ridicule him, but others said, We'd like to hear from you about this again. All right, he, he's, he's teaching him and he says this and some people are like, eh, whatever. But others are like, you know what? I want to know more. I want to find out what, what's going on here. But others are going to mock. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says this. But the person without the Spirit does not receive what comes from God's Spirit because it is foolishness to him. He is not able to understand it since it is evaluated spiritually. When we, have a diff, when, when we have the Holy Spirit, when we're indwelt with the Holy Spirit and our lives are different as a result, you're gonna get two reactions. You're gonna get people who want to know more about it, find out what the difference is, and there are gonna be people who mock you. And what we need to do is we need to pray for both of them. 
right? We don't, we, we can't necessarily just turn our back and say, you know what, fine, peace out, sucker. You can't, you can't do that. You've got to continue to pray that the Holy Spirit will, will continue to work on them. Now, this was the event that many had been waiting for. The coming of the Holy Spirit has been prophesied throughout all of Scripture. In Joel chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, you can look it up later, Joel prophesied that the Spirit was going to be poured out on people's uh, sons and daughters and that they were going to be continuing to do things. John the Baptist preached about it in Matthew chapter 3. Jesus spoke extensively about the coming of the Holy Spirit in John 14 and John 16. And just before he ascended into heaven in Acts 1-5, which we looked at, he promised that the Holy Spirit was coming. All of these things had been given and given, and people were waiting for this to happen. The day of Pentecost was the fulfillment of all of these promises. And in fulfilling the promises, it proved the authority of Scripture. We can believe what's written here in the Bible because the promises that are given have come true. And second, it proved the authority of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ said, I promise you this is going to happen. And it took place. We can believe both of them. Come on, what are you doing? It does need to be noted, though, that Pentecost, that what, what happened on Pentecost is descriptive and not prescriptive. Do you understand what I mean by that? We are, we are described, the, the book of Acts is describing what is happening. It is not saying these things have to happen in order for you to have a good spiritual life. Um, it is an event that will not be repeated. It's not going to happen again. And it is not something that we should seek to replicate. I, I have friends who are, um, who are in a, another uh, religious uh, tradition. I'm not going to say which one. Y'all can figure it out or ask me later. I have friends who are in there. And he and I have had long conversations, or, or we did with, at the time, talking about, about this event and how... He spent, how he spent years and years praying that he would have the Holy Spirit fall on him and that he would be able to speak in tongues as a result of, of that. And, and how, he was, how he went through periods of discouragement because it didn't happen, it didn't happen. Right? He, he, he was really struggling with, with that. Despite what some are going to teach, there is no need for a second baptism. You get all the Holy Spirit you need the moment you are saved. The amount of Holy Spirit that you need to empower you to follow Christ, to, to live and do the things that God is calling to you, it is all given to you the moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's not something that we need to beat ourselves up over trying to, like, oh, I haven't had this experience. What's wrong with me? There is no spiritual superiority. Every Christian, every believer gets the Holy Spirit that they need. That being said, while we are sealed, and I, I had to look this word, I'm like, sealed, what does that mean? Basically, when we are sealed by the Holy Spirit, we are given a stamp. Let's say, I looked all over trying to find the stamp. We're, we're, we're stamped by the Holy Spirit saying, we belong to Christ, and that there's nothing that's going to break that seal and keep us from, from going to Christ. We are sealed and indwelt by the Holy Spirit, but there are times where not every believer is filled with the Holy Spirit, right? There, there are times where not every believer is filled with the Holy Spirit. We must constantly seek to be filled by the Holy Spirit through prayer and through submission to his leading. And when we're filled with the Holy Spirit by submitting to his leading and by praying, that's when we're going to be able to go out 
and do the things that Christ has called us to do. And that's when we're gonna go out and change our community and change our county and change our state and eventually change the world. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this passage of scripture, Lord. I thank you, uh, Lord, that even though I shared with some people that I was really struggling on how to communicate this passage. Lord, I pray, I, I pray that I communicated it well. I pray that our lives are different as a result and that we can truly thank you for sending the Holy Spirit who allows us to follow you and to do the things that you've called us to do. And Lord, even though each one of us is indwelt with the Holy Spirit, we have the Holy Spirit living in us, Lord, help each one of us seek constantly to be, fill, to be filled with the Holy Spirit through our prayers and through our submission to you in order to be able to go out and do those things. Lord, if there's anyone uh, that, that has not had an opportunity to put their faith and trust in you and has not had an opportunity to be, uh, have the Holy Spirit come and live within them through salvation, Lord, I pray that today would be the day that that would take place. And Lord, even though this passage is, is a descriptive passage and there's, there's a lot of history to it, Lord, I pray that we grow closer to you and that as a result of the Holy Spirit coming, that, that he uh, spoke to us and convicted us of areas of sin in our life that need to be taken care of, that forgiveness that needs to be uh, given or accepted. Uh, Lord, that there are burdens that we need to lay down. Lord, I pray that today would be a healing as a result uh, of coming and being here and, and learning more about the Holy Spirit who you sent to be our counselor and our comforter. Lord, help our lives to be different as a result of us being here today. We ask all this in your name. Amen.